Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Journey to the Stage. It is a beautiful day here in Central California, and I hope you're having a great day yourself. As I mentioned at the end of part one of my interview with Glenn Phillips, solo artist and songwriter and vocalist for one of my favorite bands, Toad the Wet Sprocket, Glenn and I had such a great and in-depth chat, one that I enjoyed immensely. And I didn't want to leave anything on the editing room floor, so I split the conversation into two. And so here we are at the second part. The only question that I cut from our conversation is one where I shared my hypothesis of what the Toad song, It's All Right, was about. And I'll just say I reserved the right not to make myself look foolish in front of an international audience, because <laughs> I was monumentally wrong. So this is such a great conversation between Glenn and I, and we're going to play a song from Glenn's most recent solo album, There Is So Much Here. If you don't have Glenn's new album, you're really missing something. It's wonderfully written, as you would expect, and it's, one, it's an album that I have enjoyed immensely. We're going to play that towards the end of our conversation, but we're going to pick up right where we left off, me asking Glenn what led to the demise of Toad the Wet Sprocket. Here we go. After Coil, you know, you guys called it a day as a band for a while. Kind of what led up to that? Were you, did you guys kind of feel like you'd run your course or what was that like for you guys in that period of time? It's really hard to explain. I mean, I, I often tell people to, you know, put five episodes of Behind the Music in a blender, and that's what happened. We got together really young, and our relationships, I think, were locked in at an unhealthily young uh, dynamic. And we tried to make a record, and we could not get on a page where we could we couldn't communicate we should have gotten a mediator gotten help you know i think we needed a break we needed to yeah. do other projects but we really couldn't find common ground we couldn't mm. write together we couldn't make music together like uh i think we were all i don't know how to describe it but we we yeah. we couldn't do it and um you know in retrospect i wish we had hired a mediator learned some communication skills mm -hmm. and gone off and done other projects. Cause I also think that has taught me a lot. Um, you know, in the last years doing solo records, doing side bands and frankly, seeing how much work it is, how fucking hard it is to get anything off the ground, how many hours, you know, I go off, you know, solo in a compact car. And so having to do all the jobs and having to do them badly, it's taught me a lot and it's taught me a lot of gratitude for Toad. I think it's really important that musicians play in multiple scenarios because band cultures easily grow toxic and uh, easily find themselves in kind of I'm trying to think how to describe it. If you have nothing compared to compare it to, it's you know easy to tell stories about each other. And if you go out and you work with a bunch of people, you kind of, I think, have a better idea of 
how things actually work and, and, and what to be grateful for and what actually matters. My process, and it's part of why I still go back and forth between, uh, you know, Toad and other projects. I, I need the difference because it helps to keep me more present and more grateful for, for, you know, all of those modalities. I can appreciate that. I just uh, last week talked with Dan Murphy. He was founding member of Soul Asylum and part of Golden Smog. And he talked about how, you know, he was in that band for 30 years. And uh, he talked about kind of the same thing. It just becomes difficult because very similarly, you get together, you're so young. I mean, he was a teenager like you were. And it's difficult, you know, he said it's just basically, it's hard for a group of men to hang out together that long and for there not to be some issues that come up and, you know, cause we're people and we're human and we develop ruts and we have our flaws and all this and that. So yeah. It's and you grow a- in really different directions mm-hmm. and at some point there's no, no blame for any of that, but just the yeah. sheer difference in you know, what excites us about life, what we're yeah. into, what we're, what we're curious about. It's pretty profound, but it's a familial bond, right? right. Some families like your brothers and sisters. I have one brother. We're really close. I adore mm-hmm. him. I know that's not every family. Right. And when you get together with people this young, it's more of a familial relationship than a business relationship. And so assumptions about what gets done. And I will say this about Toad is it's been getting steadily better. I think everybody has in the last few years, I think, you know, Randy was a huge part of the band and we really miss him. And also there was a big change in the dynamic when he stopped touring with us and it was this opportunity. And I honestly think None of us really got it until fairly recently. It was when we when we toured with Bare Naked Ladies. Okay. And so just this last summer, even, I think this realization, seeing how they'd changed since uh, Stephen Page left the band and that they, the thing I noticed was instead of Ed going, okay, it's my band now, man, I got to get this ship in line. Right. What he did is he talked to everybody and said, okay, you all need to start writing great songs. We lost a writer. I need you. And wow. I realized that in the band, you know, there were habits of me thinking I needed to do everything and drag everybody along, you know, not true stories, my own little victim stories in the band and not calling on them to rise up and give more not appreciating when they did. And that like, if I am a band leader, my job is actually to make my job easier by encouraging everybody to contribute more and praising them for their contributions and seeing where their strengths are. And instead of acting like I got to do it all myself. Right. Uh, And so we're still working on that and it's a work in progress, but I, I mean, we're all enthused and I think we've also just learned to let things go. Uh, yeah. We never did do the, you know, the mediation or, you know, go to group therapy together. But I think we've also just aged enough that we're willing to let some things slide. Um, so sometimes that's hard for me, though. I like talking it all out. That's my style. It's mm-hmm. not really, you know, um, and... It, it it's strange to have that. I like working things out explicitly. And yeah. uh, um, 
but for the most part, we've been in a really good space and I'm excited for, awesome. you know, the songs, the ideas as we're going towards another album, the stuff that's coming in and the enthusiasm of everybody. And that awesome. realizing my job is to encourage that instead of dampen it wow. or think I have to be responsible for everything. I really appreciate that, Glenn. I, uh, I'm not surprised that, that you share so honestly and, I don't know if intimately is the is the right word, but transparently, because I've always noticed that in your music, even in your voice, I think you have a you have a very honest voice. I don't know if it's the way you deliver or there's an authenticity, maybe is the better way to say it, that I have noticed in your voice from the very beginning and it definitely comes across in your lyrics. So I'm not surprised you are answering the way that you are. I, I just really appreciate that. And I think that's uh authenticity is our it's it's like an explicit aim i think with toad like that's the thing we have mm -hmm. we're not massive innovators you know we're not throwing something brand new into the conversation we're not breaking down the walls we're not like exciting or sexy that's like the one thing i think we do well is authenticity yeah. and for all our awkwardness as well right and we've always been a little bit awkward that's okay. uh, we weren't it's the cool part of the, kids. I, I like that. I, I, I actually yeah. find that to be rather endearing. Well, exactly. That's part of why we still have an audience is we were authentic. You know, we weren't the rock stars. We were, we were awkward. Uh, and we, you know, to some degree still are, you know, if there's a thing that I would say, yeah, for me as a singer or a songwriter or a lyricist, I want to make people feel I've been doing community choir leading for eight years now or something, but in doing that, you know, there's a, a song leader named Lawrence Cole and he, he calls himself a permissionary, like basically <laughs> meaning his, his job is to feel publicly so that you'll feel like you can let down your guard and wow. feel in a group of people like, and so wow. that coming in, and, you know, community singing is this thing I, I was introduced to by a, a woman named Lisa Littlebird, who's who's a song leader. And it's it's a choir, but it's a choir singing. They tend to be fairly repetitive songs that you can learn and sing in about a 10-minute period. You're singing them in a circle. There's no audience. It's not a performance. It's mm -hmm. not professional. And it's people... You're singing for each other. You sing for and with each other. And yeah. it's a lot of people who've been voice-shamed, who... Hmm. sang in choir and were told to shut up or their wow. parents told them they should be quiet or yeah. and so after years of like singing sad songs in order to touch people i started in these circles singing you know not all happy songs but it's these kind of uplifting songs and it's amazing the process hmm. of that and to have no audience to have no performance yeah. to just do it for the sake of doing it with each other has taught me a lot and the thing i found in in choir leading was the less I tried to have my shit together, the less I tried to come off in a way that was, you know, armored or cool or any of that, the, the, less, the less responsive people would be. And that the more of a flat out nerd I was, the more <laughs> I was awkward and available and not looking cool doing it, <laughs> the more people were willing to let their own guard down and start wow. singing louder and dance and move. Cool. And, you know, and, and these things too, it's like, it's, you know, there's a few younger people in there. The average age is probably 60 something. 
you know, it made me realize that, you know, once again, as a young, cool kid from the nineties playing or wanting to be a cool kid, Mm -hmm. right. And you're supposed to be young, you know, rock and roll. You're supposed to be young. You're supposed to be sexy. You're supposed to be edgy. Right. And people make fun of the people in the old folks home singing and dancing and clapping Mm -hmm. together. Like, Oh, it's lame. We don't want to be that. But frankly, mm. the people in the old folks' home have it because they don't give a shit what anybody f-ing thinks about them. Right. They are happy on their own terms. They don't give a damn. And that is the most freeing thing on earth. It's the opposite of rock and roll. I love it. And it's it's helped me appreciate going back on the road with Toad and going out and being on a stage. I'm less concerned about applause right now i want people singing along and every time somebody in the audience cries i feel like i've won like that's my i get paid in tears like it's (laughs) i love it if i if i touch somebody and i see somebody get lost in a song and i i love it it's like that's that's you know for me at this point at this age that's why i do this well, you know, you've touched them in a way that most people can't. Uh, and to be able to do that through a form of art must be pretty remarkable. That's I can see why you would really appreciate that. I think it's yeah. really cool. And, well, and I've also, in my own, like, I've just always had this like kind of hippie spirit. And I've spent a lot of time trying to be tougher than that or being embarrassed of songs like I will not take these things for granted or being embarrassed, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm much more Howard Jones than Iggy Pop. Right. Right. It's fine. (laughs) It's like, and to stop like being embarrassed of myself and Mm. realize that I can be proud of the things uh, that give me joy, even if I'm afraid of, you know, once again, you know, spin magazine thinking I'm not very cool. The older I get, the freer I feel with that. And the freer I feel with that, the the more willing I am to go into those territories. And I, I am fully down with music that makes people dance and laugh and sure. have a great time. Mm-hmm. I'd like to make more of that as well. But I also feel, you know, for people to feel deeply and even to understand increasingly like that my real interest in grief, I think, came out of my divorce and my own, you know, kids you know, growing up and my identity as a father changing, but it's impossible to grieve something that you don't love. And if your armor against grief is by loving less and being less available, it's a terrible loss to embrace, not a pity party, like a celebration, like this idea, I finally articulated it better, you know, just on the January tour that like, like this idea of when I talk about grief, I don't want everybody to be like weeping and sad in their corner. It's like grief is like a really good wake, you know, where you're <laughs> recognizing how much it hurts to lose what you love and right. how utterly vital it is that you don't stop loving in order to protect yourself from that pain. We're we're not a great society as far as understanding grief goes. I believe that. I think it leaves us loving less and being less brave and shoving down the big feelings. And there's nothing that gets me off more than a room full of people with tears in their eyes. It's the best. As a solo artist, you can play places that put you maybe even closer to the audience. You can see that. And 
you know, want to talk a little bit about your solo career because I love your solo career as, as much as I love Toad. The first album I got was uh, Winter Pace for Summer. And I'll tell you what, what drew me to that album was the cover. Mm. I think I was on the Lost Highway website. That's through Lost Highway, right? Is that what that was released on? Yeah, it was through Lost Highway. And actually, my ex-wife, Laurel, painted that cover. She hadn't done an oil painting in like eight years. And uh, there was an art department, and I was trying to work with them getting cover art. And I hated every idea. And it was like, Laurel, can you bail me out? Can you paint again? (laughs) And so that's what she did. I love it. I think at the time, the Jayhawks were on that label. And so I was there doing something and I was scrolling through and I'm like, wow, what is this? I'm like, Oh, that's Glenn Phillips. And I bought the CD and have loved it. And then have, I mean, have really tracked with your solo career ever since as a solo artist, do you feel, I don't mean this in a negative sense, but like, do you feel somewhat liberated as a writer? Like you maybe don't have the confines or have to worry about if this is a toad song, if it doesn't fit do you feel a sense of freedom or? Yeah. I mean, not, I, I think I may have sometimes felt before the band got back together and I didn't have the outlet of solo records. I think there was sometimes this feeling like, I mean, cause there were songs like granted or windmills that were more like, Oh, it's, that's a Glenn song. Like that's me doing my spacey thing or, you know, silo lullaby or little Buddha. Like, those were considered Glenn songs, not really Toad songs. <laughs> and so I could get one of those on a record at a time, gotcha. usually. Yeah, there's more freedom, but freedom's a funny word, right? Like, you know, I think of Georgia O'Keeffe's Blue Period, where she gave herself freedom by only using the color blue uh, for an extended period of time until she felt that she needed to express herself using more colors. Freedom doesn't mean endless choice, right? It means exploring the possibilities within a certain container. So in music as well, it's like there's a certain amount of setting your subject matter, setting your palette, setting what, which way even you're going to record a record. And so I think a lot about limitations when I record because creativity is kind of found within those limitations. Mm. Uh, like even overdubbing on the, the Mr. Lemons album, tracked everything live with you know bass, drums, a my guitar and a vocal. And then when we were overdubbing, part of this, I was uh, influenced by hearing about Peter Gabriel recording whole ensembles as overdubs. And I thought, wow, you know what? I'm going to record every overdub on this record, aside from harmony vocals, every overdub, I'm going to have at least two musicians in the studio. So Mm -hmm. if we're doing keyboard overdubs, I'm going to have a guitarist in the studio. Oh, okay. So instead of having a keyboard guy in and play too much and then try to fit a guitar overdub, have them play together and have them bounce off each other. So they're both playing less, but playing better. Yeah. Cause they'll auto organize themselves around each other. It's a great way to do overdubs on a record. I like setting manifestos, you know, or the coyote, the coyote sessions record, you know, it was a bunch of cast off songs, but I wanted to record with a single mic like Joe Jackson did on the Mike's murder record, you know, and, and mix it live in the room with a stereo mic by moving people around like that. It's fun to have a manifesto. I'm not really good with, you know, saying I'm going to have a record that will move my career forward. (laughs) I've done very badly with that, but I've enjoyed the freedom of getting to try 
different scenarios with different musicians out, starting from scratch, making new relationships, sometimes returning to people I've collaborated with before. I do find a lot of freedom in that, but I also find freedom in working with Toad and help trying to define what Toad is, what Toad is now, right? And how we move forward with that. You know, I'm incredibly proud of the new Constellation record. I think it's the best thing Toad ever did. I was so excited when that album came out. I'm like, yes. Yeah, I think we did a really amazing thing on that record. I'm very proud of it. Yeah, I mean, there's freedom in all of it. And Mm -hmm. I think getting to do projects with other people so that I can come back to Toad with kind of a fresh attitude really helps me. I used to take it really personally. You know, about half the songs in Toad I wrote about half are collaborations with Todd and, you know, more and more Dean is, is writing. And, and I had this feeling like, well, wait, you like the songs I wrote with Toad, but you won't listen to my solo album. Like what the, like, is it just branding? And I mean, over time, what I've realized is you cannot compete with someone's late teens and early twenties when they are you know, in some degree, like at about age 25, you kind of tie a bow on certain parts of your brain and you go on. <laughs> I think done. that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you're developing and developing and you reach this spot and the music that gets in your head at that age hits at a level that is a time machine. And it also takes you back even to hard times, takes you back there in a way that feels more positive. Yeah. Like where you go, oh my God, that was the song when I broke up with that girl. And oh my God, it was so hard. I love this song so much, right? It doesn't bring you yeah. back in the worst way. It brings you back in the best way. And nothing can compete with that. And the closest, and it was only by accident, the closest I have ever come to something that I feel like is a new way of hitting that was the live streams during lockdown where I was doing three live streams a week for probably 18 months. Other people were doing like one a month and doing them very carefully and professionally. With me, it was like, you got what you got. And some days I was a wreck. Some days just in agony about the state of the world. Some days feeling pretty good. And I think people got to watch me go up and down and be there with me and communicate with each other in the chat and become friends there's these groups of people like the live stream people who you know they're at every show as a group they go out have dinner together before they become friends in real life there's a real community that's built out of it Mm -hmm. i've tried to do in a half-assed way things that were supposed to be good for my career and the the first thing that i've i think ever done as a solo artist that felt like a step ahead was something i just did because I needed to do something that felt like it mattered during lockdown. And there people were. And I think I made a connection that I may never have the opportunity to make again with people. People were needing community and needing to reach out. And those live casts just provided a medium for it. Well, that's beautiful. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I want to play a song from, from your latest solo album. There is a song on there, and I'm very grateful that you guys are going to let me include it in in this. I want to play the song, uh, The Sound of Drinking. It's my favorite. If you put a song in front of me that you've written, I'm like, oh, no, that's my favorite. That's my favorite. But this I would rank in in the top five songs that you've that you've written or co-written. I, I really love the song. It's very melodic. It's just beautiful. And I I love the lyrics to it. Let's play it and then we'll chat about it a little bit. 
So this is what it's like now Without the constant leaving To sit and sense the seasons To be him and he be The sound of drinking water The turning of the leaves The movement of the moon The spaces in between The long year The slow day There is so much here That I had never seen On my shoulder And slipping into sleep To drift within my thoughts And listen to you breathe Coffee in the bedroom It's just a beautiful song, Glenn. And to me, you know, one of the things that that strikes me lyrically is it almost, at least the second half of the song seems like um, like a sequel to "I will not take these things for granted." I don't, I don't know. I might, you know, mm-hmm. we make connections in our own minds. But anyway, what can you tell me about this song? Because it's 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 a beautiful piece of of work. I just love Thank the you. song. I mean, to some degree, I've, the majority of the content I've produced in the last 10 years has been a broken record. It's been, um, I will not take these things for granted in different ways over and over, which is, you know, mostly about presence, about mindfulness, about, you know, 
Mary Oliver's quote is, you know, attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm. That I mean, various takes on that same idea of like what's really hard as a human being is to be present in the moment and not be in the past and not be in the future and to actually see what's there. You know, this song as part of that endless loop of songs I've written on the same subject. Well, once again, it was written from the title, right? So the title came in and I realized everybody was going to write a song about being in a bar. It's called <laughs> The Sound of Drinking. Okay. So yeah. I was like, I'm not going to write a song about being in a bar. Um, and it was during lockdown. I had just moved in uh, with my fiance, you know, moving in during lockdown and having all this time being in the same place, you know, walking the same path. <laughs> You know, there's some other quote, I forget who said it, which was like, you want to see something new, walk the same path every day. Might have been Jack Cornfield. <laughs> but, uh, and that idea of, you know, here we were in this house, we had a, we would go running, go on walks, see these same hills, these same paths, these same roads, mm -hmm. sit on the porch, look at the same trees. You know, even the idea of the sound of drinking water, of just like, tiny details like if you get centered on the moment there's all of a sudden an infinity of things to notice if you actually try to be fully present to every sight every sound every sensation for me as someone who's been on tour for so long and like a work night for me is a peak experience right it is this you know, it's wonderful. I get to play music, which is my favorite form of yeah. presence and meditation. I get to go into this flow state. I get appreciated for it. I get to, you know, travel to new places and do that. Post-divorce, I did a lot of touring. And I found myself in a lot of places where I was realizing I was searching for peak experiences, mm -hmm. even very difficult peak experiences, but was wanting to feel intensely kind of all the time. And to some degree, lockdown was this break from that intensity all the time, that feeling like everything had to be epic and monumental, and that it could be as simple as making coffee, reading in bed, walking outside, making some music, learning yeah. some songs for my live cast that night. The movement you know? of the moon. Yeah, noting things, sitting in the same place and watching the moon every night. Like it's and almost every, I mean, even, you know, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is within you, right? The the big teachers constantly come back to this moment here is the only thing you are guaranteed. And, you know, that kind of this idea of how you how you live your day is how you live your life. When I was younger, they were a little more academic, right? You know, oh, I should be more grateful. I should remember what actually matters in this life. And right now I feel like that is, it's vital for me, you know, especially as someone who is prone to deep depression, that practices that keep me in gratitude, practices that keep me in the moment are vital to my survival. And especially as my days get shorter, the best, the best method I can think of for life extension at this age is paying more attention to every moment, mm -hmm. right? You want to live longer, pay attention because <laughs> you may not get much time, but you can, uh, but showing up 
And I say this once again as a deeply habitually distracted person. I don't say any of this as somebody who's worked out a damn thing. Sure. But what I know, having gone in and out of these practices and these states of mind, is that that is true, difficult Mm -hmm. though it is. And that doing that work, you end up spending more of your life concentrating on things you truly love and care about. I'm, I'm kind of going beyond that song. But um, that's an important one for me because like, I think, and I talk so much about it because it's the big thing I'm chewing on is especially as things open, as I get to go on tour, as I get to consider, oh, I could do this fabulous trip with friends, this peak experience, peak experience. Number one, I'm a little addicted to it. Number two, it's a very privileged thing to be able to do. Number three, it's not great for the environment to be traveling all the time. And I'm getting older. I don't know how many years I'm going to be able to tour. I would like to have a life at some point, you know, learn to garden. I've been really trying to deprogram myself from needing to be special and needing to jump from peak experience to peak experience. And the biggest challenge, I think, in my relationship with my partner is the way she quietly and calmly nudges me back into that. She doesn't care about me being special. Uh, and I'm used to really enjoying people thinking I'm special. Sure. Like she thinks I'm special because I'm me. Of course, of course. She doesn't need any of the external stuff. And I find that that part of me that got lost when I got, you know, signed at 18 and went on tour and got to be special all the time, a part of me that knew when I, before we got signed, that that wasn't a healthy lifestyle for me. Mm. And that being in the spotlight wouldn't actually make me happy. That part that knew better is getting to kind of come out a little more and try yeah. to make sense of the life I'm at now. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And it's a wonderfully written, beautiful song. Just kind of as we get close to wrapping up our time here, I want to ask you about writing. You know, you're one of my favorite songwriters. To feel creative, to feel the muse, so to speak, or to hear the muse. Are certain conditions, a certain atmosphere, do you find helpful for you to feel creative in your writing? Are you one of these writers that write every single day or just kind of what's that like for you? I increasingly have trouble writing. I need a lot more silence in my life than I have. I think being online, taking care of, you know, work parts of my career, but getting distracted, looking at news listening to podcasts, Mm -hmm. all of these things. I love information. I'm an information sponge, but I find I'm happier when I listen less and read more. I'm so distractible. This device is hell for me. I'm totally addicted to it, and it has taken thousands of songs from me, (laughs) uh, just in terms of my attention and my time and my distractibility. To write, I tend to need quiet. I, tend, I need actual silence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I need, you know, it's funny. I'm so afraid of being alone and being quiet. I am habituated that way. And anytime I get alone and get quiet, beautiful things come out of it. Uh, sometimes hard things. But, you know, there's a, Rilke actually has some quote of like, there is no, oh God no higher duty to someone in, in partnership, I'm, I'm misquoting, but then to protect one another's solitude. Wow. 
I love that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. It's good for me to have assignments, like doing mm-hmm. a Toad album. There's songs that Todd and Dean have brought in that I need to do lyric work on that I've been procrastinating and doing other things with. And I do, as a writer, take in a lot of information. I feel like I do a lot of pre-processing of life. I have to fill up on a lot of content. And then I feel like musically, I have a lot of ideas that I can put into uh, different songs. If the right, you know, I'll start writing in a direction, but part of the beauty of writing is the song surprises you. The line that actually works isn't about what you thought you were going to write about. And you have to follow the line that works. You have to follow what the song wants to be, not what you wanted it to be. I think it's a key to being a good writer is allowing the song to be what it wants to be. So, or at least for me, it is. So those are my tricks. I haven't been great at them. I've been in a bit of a dry spell, but I also feel like every time I put out a record, I feel like I'll never be a good writer again. And then I end up writing more. I can't help it. I can relate. Sometimes the thoughts in our heads are our own worst enemies. Um, Where can people find out, you know, when shows are coming up, when Toad's got new, you know, where can people go to kind of keep up with what's going on and what you're doing? I mean, there's glennphillips.com. There's toadthewetsprocket.com. Toad's going to be heading out. I'm doing a bunch of uh, private shows with this guy, uh, uh, Casey Turner, around the Bay Area and up and down California. Uh, just little house concerts uh, cool. in April. And I am going to head out with Toad in late May through mid-July. Wow. And then cool. we'll be out again in the in the fall, September, October. So we'll have about 10, 10 weeks or so of total touring this year. Nice. Uh, maybe, maybe 12. Still wondering about that. Plenty coming up and Toad's, you know, we're kicking around songs early in the writing process for another record, but excited about that. And I got a couple of projects up my sleeve that I need to hunker down on. Well, good. And I'll put all of those links in the show description notes so people can just click on those and get all the latest updates. Yeah. I encourage everybody, go out, buy Glenn's new album, stream it. It's a really wonderful album. And if you haven't checked out Glenn's solo Just buy it. Just buy Even it. Even if you end up streaming it, buy it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always encourage people to buy. I do still buy a lot of music. I, I think people don't understand how astonishingly bad for musicians streaming is. Yeah. I talk it's about like it It's like you're available everywhere, but it's made it very, very hard. And I am one of the lucky ones. I am so damn lucky that I have Toad. I'm lucky that I have a solo career when I, I can go out and make a living playing solo shows i can play online and make some money but for most musicians it's kind of a scary time it's happened before one of the many podcasts i listen to too much uh is uh, i love it it's called 99 percent invisible which is hosted by roman mars and it's about the invented world it's about design ostensibly so it's everything from urban design to you know some amount of technology creative breakthroughs but there was one of the episodes was on the 1942 uh, Musicians Union, basically recording strike. They stopped recording because record companies weren't paying the musicians for the recordings being done. And there really? was a general wow. feeling that recorded music as a whole, not radio, not streaming, mm-hmm. that recorded music was destroying the lives of working touring musicians. Wow. Isn't that a crazy one? I have never heard this before. Yeah. 
strangely, singers weren't in the musicians' union, and ukulele and harmonica weren't considered union instruments. So if you look at 1942, the records that came out, it would be like Bing Crosby with a choir and lots of ukulele and and lots of ukulele music because you could record that. It's it's a stunning piece. And the crazy thing about it is the major labels who had the big artists, they wouldn't make a deal. They held out for a long time against the major labels. And that allowed like Impulse Records, Decca, the band, the stuff that came out with like Bebop, that revolutionary jazz music was because there was nothing coming out on the major labels. These indie labels made agreements with the musicians union to, to do fair pay to the musicians. Mm. And that brought a uh, bebop jazz <laughs> into the world. These were the first labels. There were no other records coming out. Wow. And it's this esoteric, hard to listen to music that like reached a major audience and and utterly worthy music but music that if it had had all this new pop music coming out yeah, might not yeah. have had such a broad impact which is to say like the situation in which toad got signed where major labels had all this money and patience and where you could make a good living selling records and getting played on the radio that was also an artifact of the current technology of the day Right. There's nothing about that that is entitlement, that is a guarantee, that is mm-hmm. the way things should be. But I think it's important for people to realize that the traditional ways in which musicians were able to be paid for their compositions have by and large dried up. And that with that, there is a responsibility of people who listen to music to support the artists they love in yeah. real time. And the other thing I will say around that is that what I found by doing the live streams is that people actually do that. Uh, and that in my small world, I have felt really lucky that I created something where people were able to support me and have found that they were unexpectedly, shockingly willing to support me in making music. And so I guess I'll end on that, like that we have the ability to make this better and to help the musicians we love. Um, but it, it needs to be direct, like even buying the album doesn't necessarily do it. Just if you like Garrison Star, Venmo her. Yeah. And it's an important reminder to go to shows, buy some merch, take your friends. I mean, this is this is how listeners like me can help, you know, put gas in the car so you can get to your next show and it becomes very practical very quickly in today's environment for musicians. So I really appreciate that. So, well, Glenn, I can't tell you how much I've uh, enjoyed our chat. It's been a real honor for, for me to chat with you. Um, I just have been that somebody who's, who's really received so much from your music over the years. Uh, Thank lyrically, you. Melodically. The music you have made has been such a, a big part of my own life experience really for the last 30 years and I so I thank you for that and I, I you're very welcome don't often have an opportunity to to express that directly to somebody who means that much to me personally but I'm very very grateful for you thank you really great to talk to you thank you everybody for listening if if you enjoyed my chat with Glenn Phillips please share this with your friends and um, stop by our Facebook page our Instagram page you can follow me there or you can check out my website journeytothestage.com So thank you everybody for listening. Keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage. And that's a wrap. Thank you.